Hi everyone, you're listening to the May 2022 edition of Aeon's Retirement Market Update podcast. I'm your host, Ricky Marsh, or as I was amusingly referred to in one email about last month's podcast, Ricky Martin. I guess there are worse people to be confused with, but what I did find upsetting was the number of younger colleagues who had no idea who Ricky Martin was. I guess that's just another one to add to the increasingly long list of things that make me feel very old. Later on, I'll be joined by Tapan Data to talk about the changes we've seen in market conditions so far this year and the outlook for the future. But now it's time for some pensions news. The pensions regulator has published its 2022 annual funding statement. This is aimed at DB schemes with valuation dates in the year leading up to the 21st of September this year, as well as schemes undergoing significant changes that require a review of their funding and risk strategies. TPR is expecting an increased focus on long-term targets and journey plans, with more schemes thinking about buyout and other endgame options. The COVID-19 pandemic has caused increased uncertainty around future mortality improvements, and while TPR warns against making big changes, they do seem to accept that a small reduction in liabilities may be appropriate. There are also some reminders for trustees about ensuring the pension schemes treated fairly compared to shareholders, particularly in the context of increasing dividend payments and the importance of being ready to act quickly in the event of corporate activity. For employers, there are warnings to be prepared for more extensive discussions around Covenant, and that any impact from the conflict in Ukraine should be taken into account in financial projections and business plans. TPR also acknowledges concerns around the risk of trapped surpluses, and recognises that contingent contributions and maybe other forms of alternative financing can be used to manage this. The statement confirms that TPR will regulate all current valuations according to the existing legislation, with the second consultation on the draft DB funding code still not expected until later this year. The Pensions and Lifetime Savings Association has announced a joint campaign with the Association of British Insurers, aimed at boosting the nation's understanding of and engagement with their pensions. The campaign will share tips for pension savers on things like identifying pension providers, ensuring contact details are up to date, checking retirement savings and helping people prepare for pensions dashboards. It's hoped the campaign will encourage people to engage more with existing pension communications, save more, review their retirement options and consider opportunities to consolidate. 15 providers and schemes representing around 40 million savers and customers have committed to sponsor or support the campaign and it's also been welcomed by the pensions minister, so we can expect to see a fair bit of coverage when it kicks off later this year. Okay, this one's a bit different from what we'd normally cover, but it did make the national news, so I thought I'd better mention it. Two former trustees have been jailed for fraud after taking part in a series of pension scams. The case was brought by TPR, and the offence involved persuading 245 savers to transfer around £14 million of pension savings into 10 fraudulent occupational pension schemes between 2012 and 2014. The two defendants were trustees of the fake schemes, and the scam involved money being channelled through the schemes to a number of offshore shell companies. The court heard that the scam was largely engineered by a now-deceased businessman who had set up the shell companies. However, the judge said the two defendants' supposed lack of understanding of their duties as trustees did not excuse their participation, and they were sentenced to four and five years respectively. While this is quite an extreme case, and I'm sure none of our listeners would ever be involved in anything like this, it is a useful reminder of TPR's powers and their willingness to use them where necessary. Perhaps more importantly, it's a reminder of the ever-present risk of pension scams, 
and the reason for the new transfer regulations that were introduced last November. Just a couple of quick updates on GMP equalisation. Firstly, PASA's GMP Equalisation Working Group has published an FAQ on admin issues raised during the process. This is the latest in a series of guidance documents published by the Working Group, and they've said they'll continue to update the FAQ as implementation projects progress and different approaches and solutions emerge. HMRC has also published its third GMP Equalisation newsletter, following on from the two that were issued in 2020. This provides further guidance on the pensions tax implications of payments in respect of historic transfers and GMP conversion. The comments are generally helpful, particularly giving comfort on the impact of GMP conversion for current pensioners. However, HMRC do acknowledge there's still more work to do, particularly around bulk conversion exercises for deferred members. And finally, a couple of quick updates on some Aeon research for you. Firstly, we've released the results of our 2022 Member Options Survey. This survey was based on responses from over 300 UK DB schemes, and the results confirm the consistent upward trend we've seen over the last five years with schemes providing more support to members with their retirement decisions. Over half the schemes surveyed also said they either had run, or were planning to run, bulk member option exercises as part of their long-term or end-game strategy. And we're starting to see schemes factoring in things like diversity and inclusion and ESG factors in their approach to supporting members. Secondly, you may remember that just before Christmas, I spoke to Matthew Ahrens and Andy Greaves about the new Aeon UK DC pension tracker, which provides a quarterly measure of changes to the DC savings market. The latest quarterly update is out now, and this shows a small increase in expected living standards during the last quarter of 2021. If that's managed to whet your appetite, you can find links to more on both of these in the show notes. And if you'd like more information on this or any of this month's other news stories, I'll include contact details at the end. Anyone who's been keeping an eye on the financial markets will know it's been an interesting start to the year. Today, I'm joined by Tapan Data from Aeon's global asset allocation team to look at what's behind this and how things might develop in the future. So, Tapan, I just want to start with inflation. The CPI increase for the year to March was 7%, with the RPI increase being 9%. We haven't seen those kind of figures for 30 years. But this also seems to have happened quite suddenly, with the corresponding figures from last March both being less than 2%. Can you just give us a quick reminder of how we've got here? Yes, I think this is right. This high inflation has crept up on us uh, very quickly. Uh, and it's all the more shocking because if you remember for decades, you know, since the early 1990s, we have been living through fairly low inflation rates. You know, they have averaged 2%. And here we are suddenly not that far from double digits. Well, the, the, the truth is that just a number of things have conspired to bring us here. When inflation first began to rise last year, everyone said this was all about reopening pains because, you know, the COVID pandemic, the worst of it had happened. Economies have been locked down, production had just completely closed down, and then a lot of capacity, of course, had been mothballed. And here, we, the economies were trying to reopen, and just getting those engines of global trade and commerce working again was a big struggle. And this drove a lot of price rises in transport, commodities, and manufacturers. Now, of course, everybody thought this was just temporary. But, uh, you know, the word temporary, you know, central banks use the word transitory, but it means the same thing. Everybody thought it was just not going to last that long, but of course, it turns out that it has lasted a fair bit of time. Now, 
just bringing it up to the present, these pressures uh, are not getting any worse. But at the moment, they don't seem to be getting much easier either. But, you know, it wasn't just that, because it's also the fact that governments had thrown a lot of money at the economy to cushion the impact from COVID. And of course, the money had to end up some, somewhere, and some of it just pushed up prices of things where supply just couldn't keep up, used cars uh, being one. And then, of course, to compound the problem, we had the global energy shock with European gas prices rising 10 or 15 times. We've had Ukraine pushing up energy and grain prices. All of it has just come together. So this feels like it's starting to have a real impact on people's finances. And my clients are certainly asking how long it could go on for. So I think it's time to wheel out everybody's favorite example of high inflation. Could we be heading for something like the 1970s at this point? Look, I think that's just probably too strong a comparison. You know, there are some big differences with the 70s. We do not have the same amount of trade unionism that could drive wages, um, you know, uh, to higher to keep up with rising prices as happened in the 70s. And that's for one thing. The other factor that's important is that we have become both more energy efficient and more geared to services rather than manufacturing. So the economy is just less impacted by a large uh, energy price or commodity shock. So no, we don't think this is going to be a decade of high inflation like the 1970s. Now, you might think I'm trying to make light of the problem, but that isn't the case because it is true that we will have at least two years of an uncomfortably high inflation rate, that's 21 and 22. And if, if things go to plan, like we don't get further unexpected jumps in energy prices, etc., we should start to see inflation fall back next year. Now, there is an interesting wild card to this, and this is what is worrying the Bank of England which is that the labor market is very tight because unemployment is very low and unfilled vacancies are very high. So, of course, in the 70s, it was all about the trade unions. But this time, it may be just labor scarcity. And businesses everywhere are reporting these shortages. And uh, behind it, what's happened is that a very large number of people are no longer in the labor force since the pandemic. Well, perhaps they took early retirement or just looking for... Uh, an easier pace of life. Um, and then there's migration, which is now no longer helping to fill jobs in the economy. So here's the rub. The Bank of England is really in a hurry to raise rates for that reason. It is worried that those high prices will feed through into high pro wages and this gets into prices and so on. So then it does start to resemble the 1970s, though for different reasons. So you mentioned there that the, the Bank of England's looking to raise interest rates, and we've already seen that start to happen. But how much further do you think they need to go? A, a lot of people will probably remember interest rates of about 15% in the UK in the early 90s. Is that where we're headed? Oh, gosh, I hope not. I mean, it, it ought to be much lower levels this time around. So we've got to remember a couple of things. One is that interest rates are starting from a zero level. Uh, at that time, they were, they were starting from a much higher level. And look, the general expectation at the moment is that the bank rate, which is the main interest rate set by the Bank of England, that that could get to around the 25 to 3% range, but not higher. Now, it depends on your vantage point, right? Because if you're looking at mortgage rates, if that's your point of focus, of course, mortgage rates will be higher. Um, but look, if inflation pressures start to ease as interest rates rise, which does look likely for next year, the pressure on the bank to raise rates, keep raising rates, will lessen. We also have to remember a couple of other things, which is that the tax burden is also higher. 
uh, and wages, though rising, are still not keeping up with current inflation. So it's a hit to consumers, all of which actually probably does a bit of the bank's work in slowing the economy and taking some of the inflation heat out of it. Uh, and just one last point which is on this, it's just worth noting that the UK has become a much more indebted economy than in the past, with private and public debt is much higher. And there is therefore much more sensitivity to rising interest rates. They really hurt when rates go up now because there's more debt. So you may need smaller rate rises than in the past just to get to the to get the same results. So looking a bit more widely, global stock markets are down this year. Is that just a Ukraine crisis effect or is it more to do with the inflation concerns? Look, my sense is that Ukraine has been more of an aggravation rather than a cause of what's been happening with stock markets this year. The real concern is really what I mentioned earlier, which is that interest rates may just have to go higher than what central banks are currently letting on um, just to get that inflation rate down. Um, now, if that happens, that is, the rates keep having to go up, then in time, of course, economies could weaken, potentially even leading us into a global recession. So that is the fear, at least. Now, a recession at this point is far from inevitable, but you can't stop markets worrying about it, right? Now, where Ukraine came into play was driving commodity prices still higher, pushing up inflation in the near term, and increasing the ante on central banks just to raise rates more quickly. But in fact, you know, the strains in markets were seen long before Ukraine. Uh, one problem it's worth mentioning here is that stock markets have just become very used to low interest rates and very low bond yields, you know, gilts, US Treasury bond yields, etc. Those low yields increase the attractions of equities. Uh, and in fact, that was a key reason those low interest rates, bond yields, were a key reason why equities have done so well over the past decade. Now, it is looking a little bit different today. Uh, it's a big change, right? Uh, and it does look as though there's going to be more of a market struggle. Now, if we manage to avoid recession, then markets might just be choppy and volatile. But if recession happens, then markets could fall much further. That's because profits, corporate profits will fall a lot. Now, so that is a risk. And so a lot of people are just waiting and watching to see what happens. So overall, it looks like quite a difficult environment. We've got inflation, Ukraine, higher interest rates and the possibility of a recession. Does this suggest keeping money in something safe rather than risking it in the market? I think it's, it's just very rarely a good idea to leave the market and stay in cash. It just doesn't work. Um, really, it doesn't. Very difficult for us, first of all, to time the market in this way. And remember, you've got to get it right both ways, because you've got to be right that the market will drop when you remove cash from the market. And then you also have to be right on the way in, because if you don't time your entry back into the market, you lose out on the subsequent market recovery. So you, what you find is a lot of people who have proved right in exiting the market then get it wrong because they fail to put their cash to work at the right time as the market recovers. No, it, it really is better to all around to have a portfolio of buffers, which can cushion you from any market shock that could lie in the offing. If you are worried about a large market fall, then that all means reduce your exposure to the market and increase your exposures to kind of lower risk assets. But it's better to be incremental about it. Uh, that makes much more sense than making large moves. If you are thinking long term and you can afford to ride out some volatility, it's generally better just to stay invested 
while looking to just build some defences, fixed income will generally give you some protection against equity risk. And of course, there are some other investment strategies that are just less reliant on rising markets, which may be suitable for you as you seek to, to build your defences. So just to wrap things up, how optimistic or indeed pessimistic are you on the investment outlook today? Oh, gosh, that's very binary. I'm going to go for the word cautious. So um, the combination of high and persistent inflation, you know, rising interest rates, uh, other global risks like the Ukraine situation, is it's, it does make it much more difficult for markets to carry on rising in the way we have become used to. So my sense is that we should be prepared for this more challenging period that we appear to be in. And it might last a while, but hopefully there will still be some rewards for the patient investor. And, you know, taking risks should still be rewarded over time. Um, cash is now going to, as interest rates rise, of course, cash will be less punishing to hold as those rates are rise. But it's just, look, it's not going to keep up with inflation for a long time. And that, I think, is an important message for most of us to hold on to. Right. Thanks, Tapan. A lot of food for thought there. And I'm sure our listeners will have found that both useful and interesting. Right, that's enough for today. So thanks again to this month's guest, Tapan Data, and thanks to you for listening. I'm off to give some youngsters a crash course in the Latin pop craze of the late 90s and early 2000s, but I'll be back with another episode next month. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget you can subscribe to the series through all the usual places, including the Apple Podcasts app and Spotify. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions, or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on ricky.marsh at aon.com Otherwise, please visit our website or email talktous at aon.com.